We are so glad that you're at Central Church today. It is a great day to be here. We're in a sermon series starting today called Why? Why the Bible next week? Why prayer anointing? Why the church? And then why now? Those are the questions. So today, why the Bible? Last Sunday, do you know, last Sunday morning, Pastor Joey ran the Detroit Marathon. Pastor, he ran the full marathon. Pastor Tyler, he only ran a half marathon. No, 13 miles. You know, every single one of us, I think, I think, I think every one of us in this room, we could all start a marathon. Every one of you could take the step and start a marathon. But not all of us, probably few of us, maybe not too many of us, could finish the marathon. And in our Christian walk, a lot of times we focus on, on people becoming Christians, right? We want to get them, you know, say the, 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 the sinner's prayer, become a Christian. But, but, but Jesus talks about remaining in him Amen. And, and following after him. It's more than just starting the walk. It is, is completing the walk. It's, it's starting the walk that will end with, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of, of your salvation. That's, that's the goal. And so why, the, why are you talking about this or why the Bible? Because the Bible is the way that we can remain in him. The Bible is the way that we can understand what it means to follow after Jesus. All right, here's your Bible facts. There are exactly 592,439 words in the Old Testament. There are exactly 181,253 words in the New Testament for a combined total of 773 words, 692 words come in, the, in the Bible, total, total, total. In your Bible, there's 66 divisions or books. There's two halves, two testaments. I think I've told you, maybe I haven't. I have a friend who's a pastor, but before he was a Christian, um, someone told him he, he needed a Bible. And so he went to the Christian bookstore to buy a Bible and he's looking at him. He had no clue as to church or Bible or anything. And so he's looking. And the lady who worked at the store must have realized that he didn't know what he was doing. And so she went to help him. And he had picked out one. And he was looking through it. And she said, well, that's a fine Bible. But that's the New Testament. Now, if you want a Bible with both Old and New Testament, you know, you need to get this Bible. And he said, who would sell half a Bible? Why would you? He had no clue. Bible has two halves. There are, all those words, there are, uh, what's the word most used in the Bible? Do you know? It's not love, not peace, not prayer, not Jesus. Word most used in the Bible? The word and, A-N-D. I know, it's a trick question. 46,227 times. There are 3,340 people mentioned in the Bible. 3,340 the longest name of which is Mahershar El Hashbaz. How would you like to write that out on a FAFSA form? 18 letters, if you're counting at home. The shortest book in the Bible, Psalm 117. The longest book in the Bible, Psalm 119. The halfway point in the Bible, 15,550 uh, words before, 15,550 words after, is Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. This is the midpoint of the entire Bible. Praise the Lord, my soul. In my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's not a bad verse to be in the middle of the Bible. But enough Bible trivia. Why the Bible? 
Well, the Bible, the Bible is not, it's not, um, it's not a rule book. There's rules in it. A few places, there's rules. That's much more than a rule book. It's not a history book. There's historical facts in it, to be sure. It's not a self-help book. Uh, of course, you'll receive help by reading the Bible, but that's not the point. It's not a science book. Don't go to the Bible for quantum physics. It's not a science book. What is it? My simplest way, again, Old Testament, New Testament, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not simply so you learn the stories of Noah and the ark and, and Daniel in the lion's den and, you know, even the Ten Commandments. No, the, Bible, the Old Testament point, the point of the Old Testament, that one, or three, three-fourths of the Bible, the point is to start pointing you to Jesus. That's the point. It's getting, you to, it's getting you to the place where you can understand who Jesus is. God's, God Almighty's interaction with humankind came in the person of Jesus Christ who walked on this earth and lived and breathed and, and preached sermons and did miracles and was crucified and buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. The Gospels tell that story, so the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus. Acts and beyond tell us how we can live in the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, live the life that Jesus calls us to live. That's just, in other words, Scripture through the lens of Jesus. And so, yes, the, the Bible helps us to, gives us a guide, but I'm not here to tell you, you know, turn to page 242 and you'll find out how to you know, uh, deal with your problem kids and turn to page 747 and you'll find out how to, you know, deal with your marriage and turn to page 1042 and you'll be, you know, less angry. That's not the point. It helps, it helps. Don't hear me say that it doesn't help, it does. But that's not the whole point. The point of the Bible is to understand that it is the written word that points us to the living word of Jesus Christ. It's the the narrative story of how God Almighty chose to work with his creation through Jesus. It's, it's the story of, of how we, the Bible contains, let me put it this way, the Bible contains everything you need for salvation. The Bible contains everything you need to spend eternity with Jesus. But the Bible is not the thing that we worship. We worship Jesus Christ, whom God Almighty revealed in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible points us to Jesus. The Bible is authoritative as it points to the authority who is Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter two, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the rock. The Bible points us to Jesus. Paul said it this way, a little longer. Paul was very verbose and he didn't know grammar and and so it's a long sentence in Greek, but this is what he says to the Ephesian church, his prayer for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed everything under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, this Bible is all about Jesus. Old Testament to End Testament. From in the beginning, God created to, to amen, the end and, and revelation. It's all about Jesus. Why the Bible? Because it tells us about Jesus. It connects, you know, our purpose as a church, connecting people to Jesus, that's the Bible. Connecting people to Jesus. What are we to do with the Bible? Well, Jesus tells us. In John chapter eight, Jesus is having a very interesting conversation with these people who you might think were followers of him because the Bible says that they believed in Jesus. John eight, verse 31 says, to the Jews who had believed him, believed in Jesus, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it goes on to describe how these people really didn't hold to his teachings. In fact, Jesus said that their father is the devil, devil himself. But Jesus' point, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So who are the disciples of Jesus? Those ones who hold to his teachings, those ones who have attached his teachings to their heart. John chapter 15, he tells us a little bit more. He says this, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So his disciples have attached his teachings in their heart. They have remained, his words, words remained in him, in their brain. And if you skip down to verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So disciples of Jesus, they attach themselves to his words. His words remain in them. And then, and then he, they keep his commands in the world, John 15, 10. So it's simple, really. The Bible's purpose, why the Bible? We accept Jesus' teachings in our hearts. We have Jesus' teachings remain in our head. We live out Jesus' teachings as we keep his commands. It really goes even to, to our, our core commitments here as a church, right? We say we're connecting people to Jesus. That's our, that's our goal, that's our purpose. How are we gonna do that? Three, three core commitments. We believe that Jesus changes everything except Jesus in our heart. We believe that we grow best together, yet his words remain in our head. And that we need to be the best neighbors. We keep his commands as we go about our, li our daily lives. That's the whole purpose. Why the Bible? It points us to Jesus. See, the Bible isn't, it's not just a good read. It's not Charles Dickens. It's not, you know, some John Grisham novel. It's not even some book that you pull off the self-help book. No, this is the word of God. Uh, the passage I read from John 15, they're written in red ink. That means they, they describe Jesus' words. And so many times you read the, the Bible, it's as if from Jesus' mouth to your ears. Opening the Bible very much is like opening God's words to your heart and to your ears. That's what the Bible is, the word of God. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're gonna be my followers, you're gonna attach my words to your heart. You're gonna have your, my words in your brain. You're gonna live out my words as you live your daily lives. That's what it means. 
How are we going to know all of that? It's in the Bible. That's the only way. Paul's words make sense of all this. Paul said this, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to hearts with gratitude in your, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the words of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell in you richly, extravagantly, mightily, boldly. Let those words fill you. Let it get deep in your bones. That's what we're talking about here. Paul said it this way in in 2 Timothy. You've heard this passage probably before in sermons dealing with scripture. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's who we want to be, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need the Bible, in other words. It's not for we believers, we followers of Jesus, it's not optional, it's not uh, once in a while, it's not, okay, my kids were rotten today, Google Bible verses for when kids are rotten, you know, that's, that's not the purpose. We need it, we need it deep in us. Yes, kind of like uh, if you have hypertension, right? You take your blood pressure medicine to keep you at a, at a, at a constant level. Your daily dose keeps you level. The daily dose of God's word keeps us level with him. It makes us, I I want you to get to where you know God's word, listen, obey, where it becomes such a part of you. Christianity Today, this year, 2022, they, they, they report a survey that the American Bible Society does every year and for the last 11, 10 years, 11 years, from 2011 to 2021, it was pretty constant, this, this survey. And that is the, the amount of time, or the number of times that Americans read the Bible. 50% of Americans, for those 11 years, almost pretty consistent, 50% of Americans said they read the Bible three or four times a year. Now that's not a gold standard, that's not great. You know, if you read it, you know, once a quarter, uh, that's not good, but that's where 50% of Americans said they read the Bible three or four times a year. And t- from 2011 to 2021. In 2022, it was like people dropped off the cliff. It went down the sharpest decline in the history of doing the survey. It went from 50% to 39%. 26 million Americans said they no longer read the Bible. Pre-pandemic, it was 10% of Americans said they read the Bible every day, 10%. Pre-pandemic in 2019, that number was 14%. Folks, we need to be in God's word. Amen. Are you kidding me? More now than ever. We need to be in God's word. We need to, to have it deep, deep, deep in our bones. John, John uh, a guy by the name of John Plake, he was the head researcher in the, of the American Bible Society and he was talking about the, that sharp decline. And he likened it. It was anecdotally because they haven't done enough research to know for sure, but anecdotally he believes that when everything shut down and people stopped going to church, stopped reading their Bible too. That while they weren't in corporate worship, they weren't doing private worship either. Listen, we, we need you in God's word. Much more, much more, you need to be in God's word much more than the, than the hour that you spend in this room. Are you kidding me? That is not enough. 
I'm not that good a preacher that will last you all week long. You need to be in God's word every single day. That's what we're talking about here, a daily dose that we would be in God's word, that we'd attach it, his words to our heart, that we'd remain our words in our brains, that then that would play out in the way we, we, we live our lives. It's getting it deep within you. I wish everyone could be like Ken Wilk, uh, Elkins in my last church. Ken uh, is 90 years old. We just saw him when we were back in Kansas over Labor Day. And uh, Ken used to have a small group that met at the church on Wednesday nights. And these guys, what the whole small group was, it was all guys, or it could have been women, but I think it was all guys. And they were, it's kind of like an iron sharpening iron, and they did Bible memorization. And they'd sit in this room and they'd give everyone assignment and it wasn't like one verse or two. They'd give them like chunks of scripture. And so they'd say, next Wednesday, you need to come back and have John 15 memorized. The whole chapter. And these people would go out and they'd they'd memorize and then they'd come back that next Wednesday and they'd recite the whole chapter. And they'd they'd sit around this room and if you ever walked by that room on on a Wednesday night, you'd see these guys and they're all kind of sitting in their chairs and their heads down and they're they're talking and it's like, this is the most boring room of all. But they they were reciting scripture that they had memorized. And now Ken, he just, he knows chunks and chunks, huge chunks of scripture. We need to get, we need to get scripture deep in our bones. That's why I'm so thankful. You know, we have Bible quizzing, children's Bible quizzing. They meet every Wednesday. I think this year they're in First and Second Samuel, and that's awesome. And when if you've ever seen teen Bible quizzers, they, you know, they know Scripture, and they jump up. You know, they have these little jump seats. They have to jump up. We need Scripture deep in us. But it's more than just, listen, I don't want you to be sitting here and saying, all right, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, memorize a couple verses, or I'll do this or that. It, need, it needs to be deeper than that. James said this, do not merely listen to the word. Don't merely just hear it, get it in, read it, that's it. And so, and so deceive yourself, do what it says. We not only need to read scripture, understand scripture, get it in our heart and in our head, we need to do what it says in our lives. Maybe you've heard this, Nikita Khrushchev, the supreme commander of the Soviet Union, who I think Putin is trying to become. He, he when he was a child, memorized scripture. The, the, the Russian Orthodox priest in his little village would give him candy if he memorized scripture. And Nikita Khrushchev had all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all memorized from start to finish. Didn't play out in real life though, did it? We need to do more than just hear it, more than just even memorize it. We need to get it deep in our heart, deep in our soul. It needs to It needs to be something where we just can't wait, where we anticipate, where we hunger and crave to be in God's word. Now about this point, in sermons like this, some of you are thinking, all right, I am such a terrible Christian. My Bible's sitting on the end table. It's got an inch of dust. You're right, preacher. I need to read my Bible more. Guilt, guilt, guilt. This is not, that's not what this is about. I do not want you to feel guilty about what you haven't done. I don't want, this is not about laying some, some shame on you at all. This is about, I want you to love God's word. I want you to love it. I want you to just so, 
Can't wait for that time because you know, all right, God's going to speak to me. And then, and, and maybe, it'll mean, maybe it'll mean something to me at that moment. Maybe it won't. But maybe later in the day or maybe two weeks later, I'll be going through something. I'll remember two weeks ago, I read this passage and that's exactly what I needed at that moment. And I'll say, thank you, Lord, for speaking to me through there. I want you to love it. I want you to crave it. I want you to get to the place where you can't wait, where you can't wait to be in God's word. I want you to be like the people... Like the people in Nehemiah 8. Do you remember that story? So here's your ancient history lesson. You know, the nation of Israel split into two. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel to the north, defeated by the Assyrians. And Judah to the south was eventually defeated by the Babylonians. When the Babylonians defeated Jerusalem, they, they carted off the best and the brightest, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, a bunch of others, all to Babylon. And they were there for a while. And then Cyrus the Persian eventually defeated the Babylonians. And when Cyrus the Persian defeated them, he looked around to all these Jewish mouths to feed, and he said, you know, go back to Jerusalem if you want. And so they all did. Yahoo! We get to go back to Jerusalem. Hooray! This city that is so bright and beautiful and wonderful that they had heard about their entire life, but they get back to Jerusalem, and guess what? It's not bright and beautiful and wonderful. The city on the hill was totally destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls were torn down. It was a mess. And so they started to rebuild the walls, tried to, for 100 years. 100 years, no luck, right? They didn't, they've been working, but nothing was happening. And then along comes this guy, Nehemiah. You know his story. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now Cyrus the Persian is dead. The new king is a guy named King Artaxerxes. And so Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, think of him as the chief of, pre, uh, chief of staff for the president, goes to uh, Artaxerxes said, listen, my people have been trying to rebuild this wall for a hundred years. They haven't been able to do it. Let me go back. I can get it done. I, I can get that baby built. And Artaxerxes said, sure. And so, you know, Nehemiah goes back. It doesn't take him 52 years, 52 months, 52 weeks, 52 days. Miracle of miracle, the walls are rebuilt. And they gather in Nehemiah 8. After the walls are done. Now, Here's what you need to know about Nehemiah 8. They hadn't heard scripture publicly read for 200 years. In other words, not a single person in that crowd had ever heard publicly read scripture. Most of them couldn't read anyway, but they hadn't heard it read publicly. Maybe some of them had parents or grandparents that could recite a verse or two that they had memorized. Maybe they had told them the story a little bit, but to publicly hear the word read hadn't happened for 200 years. So they all gather. Nehemiah 8, are you ready? When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Nixon was not there. They told Ezra and the teacher of the law to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, you need to understand, the first day of the seventh month was considered kind of like New Year's. So it was a celebratory day. There was no Rose Bowl parade, but it was like a New Year's day. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was, which was made up of men and women. Interesting, women were included. Usually they wouldn't have been. On this day, they were men and women and all who were able to understand and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon, six hours. You can complain if I preach 35 minutes. And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women, 
and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. That's the first five books in the, in the Bible, the Torah. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high platform built for this occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood a bunch of names that I'm not going to pronounce. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, a bunch of more names I'm not going to pronounce, instructed the people in this law while the people were standing there. They were standing for this six hours. Some people complain after three songs. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what was being read. When Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they were listening to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they're hearing this for the very first time about how, how God had come to Abraham and God was faithful to Abraham and he led him out of Ur and he took him and with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph eventually and his brothers and Joseph led them to Egypt and, and then how they became slaves in Egypt and how, how God eventually after 400 years sent a guy named Moses and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And he said, no, but God provided a way and they crossed the Red Sea and they wandered around the wilderness and God eventually led them to the promised land. And these people are hearing this story and they're saying, wait a minute, that's our story. We had disobeyed God. We had turned our backs on God and we were carted off to Babylon and now we're back. It's God's story. He was faithful then. He's faithful now. We serve a faithful God and they're weeping. Because of what they heard and what was being read. And then verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks, and sends some to those who have nothing prepared. Caring, being the best neighbors, that's our goal number three. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. My goal for you is that you would love God's word just like that that you would get in a place where you're hearing it and it's like the mouth of God speaking directly into your life. The words of Jesus maybe speaking directly into your life. Something that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago speaking directly into your life. Because this is the word, the written word that, is, that describes the living word who is Jesus Christ who said when we attach his words in our heart, when we have his words remain in our brain, when we act out his words through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and live by his commands, that God works in great and powerful ways. Why the Bible? We desperately need God's word in our life. 